morning, Abundant Life Church. My name is Erin. I am one of the pastors here on staff, and I am so glad that you are joining us today. Now, I don't know where you're joining us from, maybe at home, online, maybe uh, together with others. I don't know if the snow actually manifested. As you know, these are recorded ahead of time, and so I see in the forecast that a lot of snow's coming. Uh, can't wait to see if it did. Whether you are together or alone or with someone in your home, I am so glad that you are joining us today. We are in week two of a series called Relationship Spheres. Last week, Pastor David Grigg did an amazing job kicking off this series, talking about one relationship sphere that is marriage. I'm going to go so far as to say it was my favorite message, sermon, that I have ever heard on marriage. And so if you missed that, I highly recommend going back to our website and watching that launch. Uh, Pastor David did an amazing job. What else was awesome was the seminar. So part of this series, the Monday following Sunday's message, we are doing a live Zoom seminar and we invite you, many of you have registered, many of you were at the marriage seminar on forgiveness and apology. I personally loved it, found it to be very helpful. And it was so fun to get to know and talk to some of you who I otherwise wouldn't in this season. So this week, I am tackling the relationship sphere that is family. And it's a big one to tackle, let me tell you. Tomorrow's seminar is going to be on an aspect of family, and that is parenting. We are going to have a seminar called Parenting in 2021. I am already registered. I encourage you to go to alcpnw.events and register as well. Anytime before tomorrow, 7.30 p.m., we would love to have you join us. Family, I want to start light with some awesome, awkward family photos. Maybe you've seen some of these. Check out this first picture. Who thought this was a good idea? Like all of them agreed to lay on top of each other like that. This is how they wanted to document this season. What about picture number two? Why are these young teenage boys hugging their parents' legs for dear life? Like someone asked them to do that and they agreed. I don't know if bribery was involved. I actually hope so. Uh, picture three, this is my family. Right after I gave birth to our son Wyatt in May of 2020, He's our COVID baby. To those of you who also had a baby during the pandemic and closed down, it was really closed down at the hospital. No one could come. One of my favorite things about having children is like the sibling meet. And my other children did not get to meet their sibling. No one got to come meet Wyatt in the hospital. It was just strictly my husband, Travis, and I in there. And so you better believe I was going to document this sibling meeting and no one wanted to go outside. It was bright, but I was like, we're doing it. Everybody's taking a picture. We're going to do and capture this moment. And this is the best that we could do. Family is this word that is incredibly relatable and also, there is such a wide range of emotions uh, that the word family evokes in an individual based on their personal experience. Maybe you hear the word family and it increases this sense of joy 
and belonging for you. I come from a very large family. I'm one of four siblings. My mom's one of five siblings. My dad's one of four. I have 29 first cousins. I could go on and on with the ridiculous statistics of how incredibly large my family is, uh, but I think you get the idea. Something that was said frequently in my home growing up uh, from my Mexican father's side, his mom, my grandma, her dad passed down, la familia es todo. In English, family is everything. This is something we said often, and it created this sense of belonging and acceptance. On my mom's side of the family, frequently it was said, we are Crawford. This is her maiden name. And it's this sense of, these are our people. We uh, have pride in our family and a sense of togetherness. But maybe for you, the word family stirs up other feelings. Feelings of disappointment, of heartache, of unfulfilled dreams. Maybe your family is where you feel the least safe, the least free to be who you are. My prayer this morning, uh, if you are one of those people who hear family and pain is triggered in you, my prayer is that you will stick around and that you will join us to the end to hear uh, God's invitation for you to experience that word family, to experience family in a different way. Let's define family. The U.S. Census Bureau defines family as a group of two people or more related by birth, marriage, or adoption and residing together. Now, we know that's a pretty limiting definition, and the definitions for family can be actually much more extensive than this. Yes, the family you were born into, maybe the family you were adopted into, the family you marry into, friends who are like family, the family of believers. Scripture has a lot to say about familial relationships, and I want to read some of these scriptures. Proverbs 22.6 says, Direct your children onto the right path, and when they are older, they will not leave it. This is a verse that has given me hope. This is a verse I know that has given others hope as I pray uh, with people whose children have left uh, their faith or are walking through times that seem confusing to rest in the knowledge that we as parents can instill in them the truth about who Jesus is and Jesus captures hearts. Ephesians 6, 4 says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. Is that convicting for anyone else? This week I said to one of my kids, I think you love timeouts. I, maybe your whole life can be a timeout. That is an exact quote that I said to one of my children. I read this verse, fathers, parents, do not provoke your children to anger, and I'm convicted. I had already written this message also after this happened. Now I am confessing to you, this is why I will be at the marriage seminar tomorrow night, 7.30 p.m., parenting in 2021. Lord, help me. Lord, help us all. Deuteronomy 6, verse 6 to 7 says, You must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I am giving you today. 
Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you were at home and when you were on the road and when you were going to bed and when you were getting up. Speak life, speak truth, speak salvation. Speak the joy and peace that God has to offer through his son Jesus freely in your home all the time. May truth and what is good and what is beautiful and pure be on our lips all the time at home with our families. Proverbs 17:6 says, grandchildren are the crowning glory of the aged. Parents are the pride of their children. I got this beautiful verse printed on a tote bag with the 12 grandkids of my siblings and, uh, and myself, all of our kids for my parents. And it was a hit, obviously. I was very proud of myself. They loved it. But right, anyone who's a grandparent knows the joy, of course, of being a parent, but then getting to be grandma, getting to be grandpa, getting to spoil and send home, or maybe some of you getting to raise. Maybe it wasn't your plan to raise your grandchildren, but there's that love and there's that connection and adoration for these little people who are an extension of you. So where are we going to spend the majority of our time this morning? None of those passages, actually. As I was preparing, God led me to Acts chapter 16. So while you are turning there in either your Bible app or physical Bible, I did a deep dive on defining family beyond what the Census Bureau uh, gave us. And um, what I found was a fascinating study done by Dr. Paul Amato. He's from the National Council on Family Relations, which apparently is a thing. In this article, he talks about how it's getting harder and harder to define family. And so he, his challenge, of course, from a research perspective is how do we get accurate research um, if we're not defining the, the participants in the research studies accurately. So this is a quote that he said. I found it to be uh, a profound scriptural definition, actually. Most current research, he says, is based on objective definitions of families, definitions that are not shared by the majority of the very individuals that we study. Instead, if we view families as overlapping networks that extend across multiple households with each network having at its nucleus a reference person, research might yield new insights, especially in an era when families are being more, uh, becoming more complex and difficult to classify. I know that was a lot, but let's break it down. I love this definition. Overlapping networks, spanning multiple households, with a reference person at the nucleus, does this sound familiar to anybody else? See, to me, it sounds like a beautiful description of the family of God. The church is an overlapping network with so many households represented. Of course, the reference person at the nucleus, at the core, at the foundation is Jesus Christ, our loving, living Savior that connects us all. No matter how different we are, we have Jesus at the center of our faith and the center of our family. Hopefully by now you have opened to Acts chapter 16, and we are going to be reading beginning verse 12. Um, Paul is writing a narrative type style. He and Silas are traveling uh, to Philippi, and we're about to meet one of my favorite uh, uh, characters in all of scripture, Lydia. Here we go. Let's read verse 12. From there, Neapolis, where they were coming from, we 
Paul and Silas, reached Philippi, a major city of that district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. And we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath, we went a little way outside the city to a riverbank where we thought people would be meeting for prayer. And we sat down to speak with some women who gathered there. One of them was Lydia from Thyatira, a merchant of expensive purple cloth who worshiped God. As she listened to us, the Lord opened her heart and she accepted what Paul was saying. She and her household were baptized and she asked us to be her guests. If you agree that I am a true believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay in my home. I love what Paul says. And she urged us until we agreed. I want to pause here and I want to just paint this beautiful picture of what family is and what family does. Lydia is a beautiful picture of the family of God growing. And um, I just love her. You'll see why. She's a successful businesswoman, right? Like she has this very... um, Uh, respected career as a dyer and seller of purple cloth. Her ability, her work ethic, her enthusiasm helped her prosper greatly um, in an honorable profession at that time. And she was a single woman. We don't know if she was widowed, but we know that she was a single woman in business, successful, and had a household um, with servants. Like she she was um, a successful businesswoman. Now she hears the gospel message from Paul and accepts Jesus as her savior. Um, And I want to pause right now and and talk about the things she did not do. So she meets Paul, she hears the gospel message, she receives. She does not keep it to herself. She does not ask Paul and Silas, what can the church do for me? And she does not dramatically close her business, change her course, uh, and leave everything behind, like so many others in scripture. What did she do? First of all, Lydia grew the family. As Paul's first European convert, Lydia immediately made a public confession by baptism. Her entire family and household is also baptized. It's a testament of the, the joy bubbling out of her, right? To the people in her sphere of influence, her family, her household. Number two, she offered what she had for the family of God. Not only did she not say, what can the church, what can you, Paul and Silas, do for me? She immediately jumped into the position of family member. What do I have to bring? What do I have to offer this family? And what she had was what I understand to be a beautiful home, large enough uh, for people and believers to fellowship there. She didn't just invite them either. Actually, she urged them until they agreed. I kind of read this as like she insisted. It's kind of like when you're having dinner somewhere and they're saying, would you like seconds as they're putting the seconds on your plate? And you're like, no, actually I don't, but thank you so much. It's like this insisting on, yes, let me uh, give, let me help, use what I have uh, to offer you. It's actually believed that not only did she open her home to Paul and Silas, but that she frequently opened her home to other believers. And it's actually also believed that her home was the first established church in Philippi, constantly opening her home to believers, making her home God's home, making her home a home for the family of God. 
The third thing she did, she stayed in business. So there are so many stories that we see in Bible and present day of people being called to leave everything behind to follow. Whatever you were doing, leave it and come, follow me. This was not Lydia's calling. She's called actually to continue on in her business that she might have money to help God's servants in their ministry. Her contribution to the family of God was largely financial. I would go so far as to say that she was in ministry. Now, so many times we think of being in ministry as like a, a, in a box, right? Vocational ministry. I was working in corporate America for years before I, I entered this role, but I don't think I've been in ministry for two years. I've been in ministry since I was... 14, rededicating and really fully understanding what it means to be a follower of Jesus, to pour out for him whatever I have to give, and uh, following in obedience whatever he was asking me at any time, even when I was working for a shake test company, right? How did I love people? How did I reflect the love of Jesus, of Christ? How did I financially contribute at that time? Our contributions as a family of God look really different. Hers was financial. Maybe you can relate to that. Maybe you're in business and you've been called by God to be in ministry exactly where you are in your business, that you can shine the love and light of Christ in your workplace. Okay, if Lydia was not already one of your favorites, I hope that she is now. We are going to move on and I'm going to actually summarize this next part before we jump in to read again. So, Paul and Silas are now staying at Lydia's home, like that's just where they're staying. They leave her home to go pray. On their way to go pray, I don't know where they were going, but they encountered a slave girl who was possessed by an evil spirit that gave her the ability to tell the future. Now, her masters made quite a bit of money, as you can imagine, on this fortune-telling ability that this evil spirit gave her. So they were furious when Paul commanded the spirit out of her, and she no longer had this ability. They brought them, making a scene, accusing them of teaching false Jewish customs, illegal for them as Romans to practice. It then tells us in verse 23 that Paul and Silas are stripped and beaten severely with wooden rods. Like this, they went to pray. Now they're beaten. I mean, they cast out an, even, an evil spirit and now they're being beaten severely. And the prison guard was given very strict instruction to not let them escape. So they are ankles restricted and thrown into the innermost part of the prison called the dungeon. Like they were thrown in a dungeon beaten and bloodied. This is when we are going to pick up where we're going to pick reading up in verse 25. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the other prisoners were listening. I'm sorry. I have to stop right here because what I just summarized was like a really terrible bloody, beat-up scene and thrown in prison, the first response of Paul and Silas is to sing praises and to say prayers loud enough for the other prisoners to hear. If this is not a testament of a God who draws close and is faithful to the brokenhearted and the hurting and the bloodied and the wounded, I don't know what is. Clearly, they have a faith and a joy inside of them despite their circumstances, and they are singing and praising and praying to God. 
Let's keep reading. Uh, Suddenly, there was a massive earthquake, and the prison was shaken to its foundations. All the doors immediately flew open, and the chains of every prisoner fell off. The jailer woke up to see the prison doors wide open. He assumed the prisoners had escaped, so he drew his sword to kill himself. Remember, he was given very strict instructions to not let these prisoners escape. But Paul shouted to him, stop, don't kill yourself. We are all here. The jailer called for the lights and ran to the dungeon and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved along with everyone in your household. And they shared the word of the Lord with him and with all who lived in his household Even at that hour of the night, the jailer cared for them and washed their wounds. Then he and everyone in his household were immediately baptized. He brought them into his house and set a meal before them. And he and his entire household rejoiced because they all believed in God. What? just happened. I hope that as you read scripture, even if you've been reading a long time, that stories like this never get like, oh yes, 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 and they were beaten, and then they prayed, and then their chains fell off. Like, what? This is incredible. The way that God shows up for them, and then the way that they lovingly stay, because their care is not for themselves, bloodied and in prison. Their care is for the prison guard who does not know the living Savior yet. And so they're free, and yet they stay. Prisoners were saved. The prison guard was saved. The prison guard's family was saved. Neither prisoner nor captor was excluded from the gospel message. No one was excluded from the invitation to be in God's family. This leads me to three truths that I want to um, really dive into as as we sort of come to closing our time. Truth number one, every person is a child of God. I don't know what that feels like to you, but I want us to just sit in what that feels like. Every person is a child of God, no matter age, race, gender, background, socioeconomic status, family of origin, sexual preference, mental health, ability, disability, addiction, number of mugshots. No one is excluded from being a child of God. Every human being was created by him in love for the purpose of relationship and being adopted into his family. You are a child of God. You are precious in the sight of your heavenly father. Nothing you have done, nothing you will do makes you less his creation, makes you less his joy, makes you less his child. Believe this truth today, church. Every person has inherent value. Every person is pursued by a love of God, a God that desires that we cry out, Abba, Father. Truth number two, every human being who accepts the gift of salvation is adopted into God's family. Notice there's no required behavior change There's no amount of money to give to the church, amount of community hours, uh, service hours, and serving at the church that you should do. 
There is nothing by your own merit that can earn you the salvation and a place in God's family. It is a decision that you can make to accept the free gift that Jesus offers. The gift of his love, his grace, his forgiveness. It's for whoever and wherever you are right now, today. John chapter 1, verse 10 to 14 summarizes it more beautifully than I could, so I'm going to read it. He, Jesus, came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. But to all who believed him, to all who accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. As an adoptive parent, I know firsthand the depth and beauty of love by choice. I also know the hard and the mess. As a person who has been adopted into God's family, I have a deep sense of gratitude because God pursued me. God chose me. He saw my mess. He saw my heart. And he said, child, come. If you are not yet part of the family of God, you are excluding yourself because the invitation is for you. It is for everyone. Lean into the truth that his heart is for you. He sees you where you are. He's not asking you to clean up before he can reside in you, the presence of his spirit in you. Truth number three Jesus followers are to live in a way that reflects the love of Jesus and grows the family. Matthew 28, 19 says it beautifully. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. The body of believers is not an exclusive club. Uh, the family of God is not some polished group of people living neat and tidy lives who have answers uh, and make all the best choices to life's problems. The family of God is a group of broken people who acknowledge their sin. Maybe you have not chosen to be part of the family of God yet. Hopefully, to those of you who have chosen it, you are sitting humbled in reverence at a God who sees you and loves you and extends himself out, poured out for you. It is only by the love and grace and forgiveness that we receive that we are able to give that love and grace and forgiveness away, growing the family of God. I want to close our time by reading that last verse in the chapter, verse 40. The guards end up releasing Paul and Silas, and this is how the chapter uh, wraps up. It says, when Paul and Silas left the prison, they returned to the home of Lydia. There they met the believers and encouraged them once more. Then they left town. They came, they gave, they shared, they prayed, they were severely beaten, they prayed some more, they were thrown in prison, they praised God some more. 
they shared some more, they gathered some more, they encouraged some more, they grew the family of God some more. And then they left town and they kept on doing it. Paul and Silas were faithful brothers of the faith. They made time for people. They used their time really well. Even when that time was like sitting beaten in a dungeon. Author and pastor Rick Warren says, when we place our faith in Christ, God becomes our father. We become his children. Other believers become our brothers and sisters. And the church becomes our spiritual family. The family of God includes all believers in the past, present, and the future. Maybe you've not yet chosen to be adopted into this family. And if that's true, I invite you today. What better time than the present? Or maybe you've been a believer for a really long time and you're tired. I don't know what this last year has looked like for you. I don't know how your life is different today than it was pre-pandemic. My prayer for all of us is that no matter the circumstances we're facing, no matter what we've been through or what we're going through currently, that we remember that we are sons and daughters of the Most High King. And all of us are invited to be part of his family. You are loved, you belong, you are a son, you are a daughter. Uh, right now I'm gonna pray and I invite all of you to pray, whether you've been a believer for a long time, part of the family of God, whether you've been resistant, maybe you've been listening in for a long time, but don't know a next step. Uh, maybe you're brand new and this is your first time ever watching and welcome, I hope you feel welcome. I invite every person right now to pray with me. And um, as I close my time, I just, I want to encourage you to lean in to letting walls down, to allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you. Now, if you make a decision today, I encourage you reach out on the prayer tab, call the church, let us be family to you. Let us know. If you don't let us know, it's not like it didn't take. Like if you wanna be part of the family, that's your choice and welcome. But let us know so we can be family to you. Will you pray with me right now? God, I know that there is someone and the walls are still up and they want to lean in and they know what you say about family, but they're having trouble believing that it could be true that the mess, we don't have to clean it up first. You will give us what we need when we need it. God, to the person who thinks, oh, but you don't know what I've done. You do know what they've done and you love them still. If it's pride, if it's fear, whatever it is, I pray in the name of Jesus right now against any of the enemy's attacks to interfere with your spirit speaking to your children right now. God, for the person praying this prayer, I pray blessing and favor. Repeat after me wherever you are, uh, if you would like, God, I am a sinner. I have chosen, I have chosen sin and I don't want to anymore. I want to live a life in pursuit of you, Jesus. 
thank you for dying on the cross for my sin. Thank you that it, mean, it doesn't mean I have to be neat and tidy and perfect and that I'm never gonna sin again. Help me because I want to live a holy life. Thank you for your forgiveness yesterday, today, and in the future for when I'm gonna need it again because I'm human and I'm gonna need it again. I wanna follow you. I wanna love you. I wanna be part of your family. Thank you for drawing close, for inviting me and accepting me for who I am, where I am right now. I give my life to you. God, for, for others who are just tired, we pray for a renewed sense of love and gratitude for the salvation that you have offered us that you don't ask us to be perfect. You ask us to be poured out like you pour out for us. Thank you for conquering death. Thank you for conquering death in my life. I pray for every person, God, in the family of God and coming into the family that we have renewed sense of joy and of peace because of the love that you give us, Jesus, in your name, amen.